Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. Good morning, Christ Fellowship. Buenos dias. Buenos dias. Thanksgiving is around the corner. Um, I know one of the things that we wanted to touch base on, too, is I know some of you signed up to get one of our uh, Thanksgiving baskets. Now, I did have a question. What's interesting, we gave people a selection. We gave you a selection of ham, turkey, and chicken. And I know Thanksgiving is around the corner. And it really surprises me how many people don't like to eat turkey. All right? Um, How many of you love turkey? Raise your hand. All right. Turkey, turkey. Uh, Just to let you know, I did this little survey in the Spanish service, and I said, how many of you love turkey? And there was probably three hands that went up. (laughs) They were like, give me un pernil. You know, forget the turkey. So so turkey, we got a lot of people that love turkey. But how about a ham? A ham. All right. Carlos raising his Carlos raising his hand for everything. You had to pick one. What do you have to pick one? All right, Car. Um, uh, uh, what did I say? Ham. Last chicken. How many of you would pick a chicken instead of a ham or uh, turkey? Now I have to say, if I had to pick one myself, I would pick a nice steak, like a nice thick steak to celebrate Thanksgiving. And just to give you an idea of the type of steak I like to eat, I have a little video that I want to show you right now here behind me. Little steak right there. Oh, look at this. Look at this beautiful steak. Oh, man. Here you have a nice little mango. A lighter cut in half. Little Pantene bottle. Little did you know you could eat shampoo. Now, these are the vegetables I love to eat. Oh, man. Healthy salads in the way. Estoy perfecto para la dieta. And lastly, I don't know if you would eat this one. It is cake. Oh, pretty much all of them are cake. I don't know if you've seen those videos before. But it's definitely, I remember the first time I saw it, and I saw that steak. 
I was getting hungry when I saw that steaks. I, I love steaks. And I looked at the cake. I was like, no, they're cutting it. And it, the initial point when they're cutting it, you could tell like it gets spongy. And you're like, what? That's a weird cake. And then, uh, I mean, a weird steak. And all of a sudden they open it up and you notice it's not a steak. It's a cake. And without question, uh, how many of you were a little surprised? Raise your hand. You weren't expecting that. All right. Most of you. Um, definitely the first time I saw it, I wasn't expecting it too, because from the outside, you saw something, but the inside has something completely different. Today, we're going to be talking about First and Second Timothy. And what I want to let you know, even focusing more on Second Timothy, this book that the Apostle Paul wrote was near at the end of his life. And pretty much, that's what people believe. It's pretty much the last book that he wrote in the order of the books that he ended up writing. And he wrote it to Timothy. And it's really powerful because we all know that if you know your time is ticking, if I would tell you you only have about two hours to live, the words that you would choose to say during that time would be very important because you're focusing on what's deep within your heart and what you see as it's important to communicate. So here the Apostle Paul, being led by the Holy Spirit, writing to Timothy, who's a pastor, trying to give him words of wisdom. He starts off pretty much here. um, One of the major themes that you'll see in 2 Timothy is he's talking about Christians that look one way on the outside but in the inside, they're completely different. On the outside, it gives you the appearance that they're Christians, but in the inside, you realize that they're not really Christians. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, the Apostle Paul says this, but mark this, there'll be terrible times in the last days. People, and he's referring to Christians here, will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiven, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now listen to the next part of this verse. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Like the case on the outside, these Christians had a form of godliness, but they were denying the power of the Holy Spirit that wanted to transform them inside. So how could we have a form of godliness? We could have a form of godliness by attending church. To us, just because we attend church, we could have a form of godliness. We could have a form of godliness by having Bible knowledge. 
Like, you know, we could have the knowledge, but yet we don't apply it to our lives and allow God to transform us. And I just want to let you know, uh, the, Bible, um, the Bible is not just something like that we try to know type of thing, but the devil knows the Bible better than we do. He does. The, be- the devil knows the Bible better than we do. Uh, he's been around a long time. He's able to quote any of the verses, you could say, but of course, he doesn't apply it to his walk. Um, so just because you know the truth doesn't mean that you live by the truth. Another big thing, too, that could give you a form of godliness is ministry involvement. Just because you're a volunteer, just because you help out, just because you shared with someone an extra empanada that you had made you feel good type of thing. Just because you're involved in ministry, in serving, in any capacity, it could give you a form of godliness, but it doesn't mean that you're being transformed in your heart. And another thing too, it could be family. Some of us, our relationship with God is really our parents' relationship with God. It's because our father or mother knew God, or maybe our grandmother or grandfather or aunt or uncle. And because we're in that environment, we've developed some type of form of godliness. When we're around other Christians, we know how to say amen. We know how to say praise God. We know how to say hallelujah. We know how to say all the key words, but yet, Inside, there's something completely different happening. It says here that pretty much um, one of the things that we, we read is having a form of godliness, but denying its power, pretty much denying the transformation. And that word power there, it's the same word used in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, referring to the power of the Holy Spirit coming into your life. So pretty much what what we realize is these type of Christians, which we're all, including myself, we're all in the danger of becoming this this type of Christian if we're not careful. These are Christians that literally deny the Holy Spirit from being able to do the work, the miraculous work he wants to do within us. Something that's interesting the Apostle Paul said is that he said, have nothing to do with such people. He would just say, had nothing to do with them. Now, obviously, we're there to love and um, serve everyone in our lives. But here the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy, it's like, you know what? Don't let these people influence you. Don't let these people bring you down the wrong track. Don't let these people corrupt you or taint you or mislead you. These people pretty much are wolves in sheep's clothing. They're not Christians that truly follow God. They have the appearance of godliness, but they deny what God wants to do in them. So have nothing to do with them. I know many of us, we've probably read the book, The Five Love Languages. Have you ever read that book before? Raise your hand if you have. All right. If you haven't read it, it's a great book to read. Pretty much The Five Love Languages is a book that talks, pretty much highlights that every single person has a love language. Obviously, we have a little bit of all five, but we tend to have like 
a top one or two that are our main love languages. So I'm going to highlight the five just so that we would be able to know. The first one is time. For a person, their love language is time. They want you to spend time with them. Time is very important. Another one would be touch. They want to be able to feel that you love them. You better give them a hug. You better kiss them. They want to feel that, they, um, that you love them. If not, they don't feel like you're communicating that you love them. Another one is words. Like they want to hear it. They want to hear you say, I love you. They want to hear you say that you're special, that you're valuable, that you're important to their lives. Words mean so much to that person. Another one is acts of service. It's doing nice things, like doing nice things for them. That is a way that they would know that you love them. And the last one I'm going to highlight, which are the five, is gifts. They just love receiving gifts. You know, you give them a gift, they feel special because all of a sudden it's like you took the time to give them something special and it means the world to them. So out of curiosity, if you had to pick one of which one your love language is, I'm going to highlight each one one at a time. How many of you would say it's time? Raise your hand. All right, time. Okay. How many of you would say it's touch? You want to be hugged? You want to be kissed? How many of you would say it's words? Words mean so much to you. Okay. How many of you are acts of service? Doing nice things. And how many of you are gifts? You like to receive gifts. You're like, Christmas is coming. Thank you, Jesus. You know, you're like, you're so excited. So all of us, we have different love languages. And I just want to even highlight Jen and I, our love languages are the complete opposite. Complete opposite. For me, it's words. I want to hear that you love me. Like, you better tell me every single day, Jen, every single day. ¿Qué, qué pasa? ¿Qué pasa? Tú me quieres. Qué bueno. You know what I mean? Like, like I want to hear it and I want to feel it. You better hug me. You better give me a kiss. Like, I want to feel that you love me. Those are my two main love languages. Now, for Jen, it's time. She loves to, for, to spend time with her. It's a big thing. And it's acts of service. So like if I come home and clean the entire house from the top to the bottom, I mop everything, I vacuum everything, I do the dishes, take out the garbage. She'll walk in from work. She's like, you love me. You know what I mean? Like, you love me. So that's a big love. And she does like gifts too. Does she love gifts too? So that, that's another love language that she has. But all of us, we have different ones. And it's really important because everyone has one. Because it's not just for couples. It's for your kids. It's for your mom, your dad, your coworkers, your boss, your friends. Everyone has a different love language. Um, like, and it's important. Like, I, I, I want to even highlight, like, even, like, just to give you an example, it's important to know my mom, without question, has loved me all my life. And Rosie, my, my family, loved us without question. But she didn't know my love language is words, let's say, as one of the main ones. So through her life, she expressed the fact that she loved me, so like she's working for me. 
like, you know, putting food on the table, cleaning, doing acts of service, but she wasn't too expressive, letting me know verbally that she loved me. Now, but think about that for those of you that are parents, it's important for you to know your kid's love language because you might be thinking that you've been telling them that you love them, but they're not experiencing and feeling it from their end because they just speak a different language of love. So the reason why I'm talking about this is because God has a love language. God has a love language. And his love language is not the five that I highlighted for us, you could say. His main love language is obedience. His love language is obedience. You obey him, he knows you love him. Obedience is his main love language. What's God's main love language? We'll do it again. What's God's main love language? Obedience. And it's so important for us to know that. In John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus pretty much said it very simply and straightforward. He said, if you love me, keep my commands. I don't don't see how much more clear that could be. If you love me, Keep my commands. If you love me, obey me, Jesus said. Obey me. Like obedience is a love language that we need to realize. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, the prophet Samuel declares this to King Saul. He says this, but Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord. To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. So right here, he's pretty much saying, it's pretty much saying you could bring all your other forms of loving him, burnt offerings and sacrifices. You could do all of that. But to obey supersedes all of those other ways you're trying to show him that you love him. He knows that we love him when we obey. And the reason why it's so important is when we obey God, the Holy Spirit is able to come and transform us from the inside out. We want to be willing to change, surrendering all the areas of our lives that you know need to surrender. I remember here during worship, Brianna highlighted that God wants your heart. And so many times for many of us, and including myself, if we're not careful, we give parts of our hearts, areas of our hearts to other things or other people and not to God. And it's important for us to be a Christian inside and out. What I want to do right now is highlight again what the Apostle Paul brought up as these Christians that are living a certain way that they're not supposed to. And I'm, I'm just going to read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 to 4. I know we read it before, but I'm going to highlight it again. It says this. These Christians, people will be lovers of themselves, 
lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, uh, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You know, one of the greatest disciplines that we could do in our lives as a Christian is ask God to examine our hearts, to examine our hearts. And it's a scary thing for us to come to God and tell God, be like, God, I want you to look inside my heart and let me know of anything that needs to be changed, anything that needs to be taken out, any surgery that has to be taken place spiritually so I could become more like you. King David, we know he wasn't perfect, far from perfect, but we know in the Bible it said that he had a heart after God, and we know that his heart was always postured and positioned to pretty much love God and to honor him to the best of his ability as he allowed God to do so in his life. In Psalm 139, verses 23 to 24, King David said this. He said, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me. Many people don't like tests. How many of us want to ask God to test us so that we could see what's happening in our lives, in our hearts. And know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In Psalm 19, 14, it says this, may these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart, the things you dwell in in your heart, be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The Apostle Paul, knowing that he doesn't have too much time left, he wants to highlight to Timothy that there's power in God. And there's a key verse that I know many of us, we've read this or we've heard this. And it's 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 where it says this, for the spirit of God, for the spirit of God, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So here um, we might know um, like a different version, sound mind, there's different versions. But here, a lot of times we focus on this just highlighting that God gives us power and we shouldn't fear anything, right? So that, that's usually the main focus in this verse. But I want you to look at this verse a little bit different. This verse is about transformation. When God's power comes into your life and you allow it to transform you from the inside out. Because here it says this, uh, it says he gives you power, power, love, and self-discipline. God gives us power to transform our hearts. God gave us love to transform our relationships. And God gives us self-discipline to transform our lives. 
So here you see God's power, but it's to transform our hearts, love to transform our relationships, and self-discipline to transform our lives. God's power, if you allow God's power to come into your life and change you, you'll never be the same, but not just your heart will be affected, your relationships will be affected, and your entire life would be affected as well. I asked you before, how many of you love tests? You love tests? Nobody? All right. And, and, and you're the only one that loves tests, I think. And no one else? All right, a couple of people. So this is a pop quiz. How many of you love quizzes? No, a little pop quiz. We're going to do a little pop quiz. And in the back, there's going to be an image of a heart here. You'll see El Corazón, so beautiful there. And it's from 1 to 10, not seen, being at um, zero, uh, 1, and very visible at 10. I'm going to highlight quickly the main things that the Apostle Paul was highlighting in the verse that we read previously. And you need to analyze where you are. God wants your heart. And he wants you to be a genuine Christian inside and out, not having a form of godliness, but denying its power. He wants you to be fully allowing God's power to transform you. So I want you to rate yourself. Don't rate your spouse. Don't rate your friends. It's amazing how it's so easy for us to see what's wrong with other people, right? It's like, oh, that person has to change, or that person needs this or that. It's extremely hard to look at ourselves. And let me tell you, each one of us, all of us, we have blind spots. We all have blind spots. So we might think that there might not be anything wrong with us, while the reality is there is. So look at this um, graph behind me. And the first thing that Apostle Paul highlighted said that these types of Christians are lovers of ourselves. We love ourselves pretty much more than anything else. So where would you be in that? And you just have to keep track yourself. The next thing that he says is lovers of money. Pretty much money becomes like a God to them. What would you, where would you put there? The third thing the Apostle Paul said, being boastful. Someone that's boastful. And right by it, number four, being proud. But an unhealthy proud. Number five, what about abusive? Being someone that's abusive with your words and with your actions and what you do pretty much like to other people. Where would you say? Is it not seen in your life or very visible? Another thing that that verse said is being disobedient to your parents. Where would you put yourself in that? Another one is being ungrateful. Where would you be there? I really believe that we all have to work on being more grateful, grateful people. Like whenever anyone like 
like whenever you have the opportunity to say thank you or be grateful, having a grateful heart is so important. And so many times we could be ungrateful. Uh, I, I know that many of us, I'm just going to highlight real quick, many of us uh, know that we give out tons of food here every, every week. And this Friday, we actually broke like a record for our church. I think 714 people came to our church this Friday to pick up groceries. So why don't we thank God and also for everyone that helps out in the food pantry ministry. And I have to say, 95% of the people are extremely grateful. Extremely grateful. Like they're like pretty much you know that what we're giving is like crucial for them and they appreciate it. But I have to say, there's about like a little 5%. <laughs> The five percent that I'm like, uh, we just gave you this for free. They like, they'll look, they'll look through it and be like, I don't want this. I don't want this. Do you have two percent milk instead of uh, whole milk? Or you know, be like, I was like, what do you think this is a supermarket or something? <laughs> like you know, like sometimes we might not realize, but it's easy to be ungrateful. So where are you in being uh, here in the chart ungrateful? We're going to move quickly through it. He also said unholy, being unholy. Being holy means to be separate unto God. So being unholy means that you're not separated unto God. You're like mixed with things of the world, you could say. Without love is another one that was highlighted by Paul. Unforgiving. Pretty much, and I, I've mentioned this in the past, some people have told me, it's like, Carlos, I'm not going to forgive anybody. Like, you know what I mean? like, like, sometimes people are like, Carlos, you don't know what they've done to me. I'm not going to forgive them. But yet, they're quick to want God's forgiveness in their life. Number 11, slanderous. Slanderous means always talking about other people, pretty much like gossiping, you could say, but Tearing people down with your words. And sometimes Christians tend to do it and just in the end say that, please pray for them. Make it a prayer request. So to make it a little more form of godliness. But yet it's really slandering someone's name. Without self-control. Do you feel like you have self-control? Without self-control, not seen or very visible. It says brutal. Being someone that's brutal. Another one, not lovers of good. Pretty much you love what's evil, not what's good. Treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than being lovers of God. I know we've read that verse before, and we've read it quickly, and I know I just highlighted, but that's just to show you how we could easily read a couple verses really quick and move on. But if you pause and examine that verse, it highlights 18 quiz questions, you could say, that you could reflect with your heart and see where you are with God, really, really. Because we might be able to fake it with other people, but God sees our true heart and he wants to examine our hearts. And we, he wants us to obey him wholeheartedly. Jesus speaks about this. Jesus spoke 
about Christians that had a form of godliness, but denied God's power too. They weren't obedient to God and allowing the Holy Spirit to transform them. And now the verses I'm about to read are probably one of the, I guarantee you the verses I'm about to read, you don't have it as a magnet on your refrigerator. You don't have it as a bumper sticker. You don't have a journal at home that has it on the cover. I guarantee you it's not one of your favorite Bible verses in the Bible. Guaranteed, guaranteed. All right, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Now, I just want to even say this before even saying it. This is like the end of the Sermon on the Mount. After Jesus pretty much shared what it means to follow him and obey him, okay? So like Matthew chapter 7, pretty much here it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So right there, who does the will is someone that obeys God. Someone that obeys God, that does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did, it, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I'm going to tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Now, these are Christians with a form of godliness because they were doing ministry. They were praying for people. They, they, they were prophets prophesying over people. They were doing miracles. They were doing many different things there. Prophesied, driving out demons as well. Outwardly, they look like they were Christians, but they weren't doing God's will. They weren't weren't obeying the Holy Spirit, obeying God. And when you obey God, obviously, you're developing that deep, intimate relationship with God within your heart because you're pretty much in your life always talking to him, being sensitive to him, wanting to obey what he wants you to do. So obviously there's a deep, rich relationship with God when you obey him. But here, it didn't work out for them. So I don't, was that any of your favorite verses? No, not quite. I I know for me, it's not one of my favorite ones, but it's definitely one that I reflect on And it reminds me every single day how important it is to obey God and have that deep relationship with him. If today, right after church, I might decide to say, it's like, hey, and invite you to come over to my house. Uh, I didn't talk this over with Jen. Jen, I'm sorry. Um, We invite you to come to my house. And you come to my house And we step into the living room and we're talking and stuff like that. And while we're talking, I realize I have to be a great host, of course, like Jen and I, and um, as we're inside the house. And I ask you, would you like something to drink? Right? That's the nice thing to do, to ask someone if they want something to drink. And the response is, okay, okay, let's do this all over again, okay? Would you like something to drink? And everyone says, yes. 
And Mama Millie is like, quiere un cafecito ahí con un pedazo de queso. Uh, Mama Millie wants coffee, a little Cuban coffee, right? A little Cuban coffee. So I tell you, you want something to drink? And everybody said, yes. I was like, not a problem. Come into my kitchen so I could get you a cup to get you something to drink. And we step into my kitchen and my kitchen looks like this behind me. Jen, I'm sorry I didn't leave the kitchen looking like that. But imagine we step into the kitchen and I ask you if you want something to drink. And Mama Millie's like, yo quiero un café, quiero un café. And stuff. I was like, not a problem. And then I open my cabinet and there's like really no cups there. And I go and I just grab one of those cups, okay? One of those cups there. And then I'll, and I just probably, probably get a little napkin and go like this, like this. And I make you el cafecito for Mama Millie. Mama. Oh. You, don't want, you don't want coffee now? Or if you're there, I give you a glass of water. Valentine, would you like a glass of water for now? No, no, no. Anyone? Glass of water? Glass of milk, orange juice, nothing, nothing. How many of you know without question you wouldn't drink anything that I would give you from here, right? We wouldn't. I'm going to read to you from 2 Timothy chapter 20, verse 20 to 21. It says this, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some of honor and some of dishonor. Pretty much like the ones in the sink, dishonor. (laughs) Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, pretty much from everything that was mentioned before in this passage, everything that doesn't belong, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So here pretty much we see the apostle Paul sharing with Timothy. It's like, you want to be a vessel of honor. You want to be a vessel that's noble. You want to be a vessel of gold for our king. You want to give God your very best. He's pouring into you, not orange juice or pretty much like regular water. He's pouring into you his spirit that he wants to saturate your life with his spirit completely. But you know what we do many times? We we go through life thinking that we could give God leftovers. We go through life thinking, it's like, oh God, uh, you're in my house now. Let me bring you into my kitchen. And let me just pull out just anything I could find that's convenient for me, that doesn't require any sacrifice for me. Let me get you whatever cup out of my sink, which is my life is the cup, you could say, and bring it up to God. Be like, God, you could still fill me with your presence. You could still saturate me with your power. You could still do everything you want to do, but I want to give you this cup that's completely dirty, that's completely filled with sin, that's completely 
dwelling on areas in our lives that you know you, we shouldn't, but we've accepted. We've rationalized why it's okay for us to keep certain sins in our life. We've rationalized why it's okay for us to curse. We've rationalized why it's okay for us to look at pornography. We've rationalized why it's okay for us to gossip and slander. We've rationalized what's, it's okay for us to pretty much be in sexual, intimate relationships with people that we're not married with. We've pretty much rationalize so many different things in our lives that we just think it's okay, but yet we don't realize that what we're doing, we're presenting God a dirty cup, a dirty life, but yet we want everything that God has for us. And God is like, I can't fill you the way I want you, I want to, unless you clean the vessel, unless you give me a vessel of gold, of honor. And of course, none of us are perfect. We all fail. We all sin every single day. But what the difference is, is for those of us that we run back to God every single time and pretty much we surrender to him. We make room for him every single day. We, whatever is in our life that doesn't belong, We remove it to make room for God to pour his presence in our life. We have to do that. Because if we don't, there's nothing different between the Christians that Paul talked about to Timothy there than Christians today. Having a form of godliness, but denying God's power. The apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4 Verses six through seven, he says this, from already being poured out, he's being poured out. Pretty much, he's given his entire life, every ounce, every second, every minute, every hour, pretty much every single day, every single week, every single month, every single year, his entire life, every breath that he breathes, everything within his lungs, within his minds, his soul, his spirit, everything belongs to God. And he's saying, I'm being poured out, completely poured out. He said, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, like a drink offering. God, everything for you. And the time of my departure is near. Then he says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I've kept the faith. I don't know about you, but when I know that my moment is about to come and I know that my time is pretty much wrapping up here on earth, I want to be able to say that same exact verse. I have fought the good fight through the years. It hasn't been easy, but I've finished the race and I've kept the faith. I don't know if that's your heart's desire to, if everyone could bow their heads at this time, this is a time of repentance. This is a time of surrender. This is a time of recommitment. This is a time to ask God, like to have his way in our lives, to transform us and for us to surrender everything to him so that, but it's our job to make room for him. It's our job to let God do what he wants to do in our lives.
He's not going to force you to do it. You have to choose to do it. And if that's you, then you want to just surrender and recommit yourself to God today and just declare your commitment to him. I'm going to invite you to come to the front of the altar as we worship God with this song. And if you choose to stay seated there in your seats, please stand to your feet and worship along with us. But the altar is open for all of you that just want to pour out your heart to God and just surrender every area of your life to make room for him. Holy Spirit, even at this moment, we just surrender everything to you, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we ask you to highlight anything within our heart within our lives that need to change. Examine our hearts, test our hearts, God. God, we want to make sure that our entire life is in your hands. God, transform us from the inside out, God. We don't deny your power. We recognize your power. We accept your power. We welcome your power. And we surrender to your power, God. And we ask you to transform us, Lord God. Change us, Lord God. God, make us sensitive to your voice as we wake up every morning, every day, that we would turn to you before anything else. Turn to you before our phone, before our our spouse, or before anyone else, Lord God, that we would just turn to you and just whisper to you that we belong to you, that we love you, that we surrender once again. Guide us in this day, whatever you want from us, God. Let your will be done, Lord God, that we would obey you, God, that we would never forget that your love language is obedience. It's obedience. And as we obey you, we listen to your voice. We treasure our time together. And you get to know us and we get to know you. And our lives are forever changed as we do your will. And we commit our lives to you even now. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch On Demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.